Today on Cross Defense, we're talking about Sunday school in dying churches. Should you be jumping ship and looking for a larger church if there's only a few kids in yours? Where did this Sunday school model come from? We're going to be looking at Robert Rakes and John Dewey and their influence on the church Sunday school model. And then we're going to be looking at Martin Luther and his influence on the Christian education of children, comparing the two and seeing which one is more faithful to God's word. All of this and so much more coming up in this episode of Cross Defense. Welcome to this week's episode of Cross Defense, where it is our aim to equip the mind, excite the imagination, and comfort the soul, all with God's word, both with his law and his gospel. I'm your host, the Reverend Tyrell Bramwell, pastor of St. Mark Lutheran Church out here in Ferndale, California. Today, we're considering a listener's question about her children and whether or not she should transfer from her quote-unquote dying church with few children to a much livelier, bustling church with more youngsters for her kiddos to interact with. This is a serious topic that I know many parents are always concerned about. It's a pressing issue for parents. And not just lay parents in the pews, but also pastors. Pastor families are worried about this too. I know I have been in the past. The first church I served was a rural congregation, much like the church I currently serve. Uh, and it had no kids, no kids there, just my own. I have two, so there weren't many kids. <laughs> Here at St. Mark Lutheran Church in Ferndale, also, my kids were the only kids in church for years. Even now, we have very few youth at our church. And we have no Sunday school. But would we? Would we have a Sunday school even if we had tons of kids? You might be surprised to hear the answer is no. No, we wouldn't have a Sunday school at St. Mark. Here at this church, I've been intentional as pastor about teaching away from Sunday school and back to the biblical model of family Bible study, family learning and education, family reception of God's word. Just like we don't send our kids out to a children's church in the middle of the divine service, we don't segregate our kids away during Sunday school, Bible study hour to a Sunday school. But we're putting the cart before the horse here. Let's get into our email and hear from the listener herself. Let's open up our, our email now. This is from Kelsey. She she went to stmarksferndale.com slash contact, I'm assuming, and sent me her comment. You can do the same. Go to stmarksferndale.com slash contact, and you can drop me a line. Anything that's popping out at you you'd like to talk about, if you have a, sh a show <laughs> suggestion, that's like always a tongue twister for me, a show suggestion or a topic um, that you want to know more about, an inquiry, a comment, whatever, you, it's something from a previous show that you'd like to add to the conversation, you can do all of that via email by going to stmarksferndale.com slash contact. Kelsey writes, Hey, Pastor, wanted to start by telling you how much I look forward to your podcast every week. One of my absolute favorites. 
Thank you for doing what you do. Well, thank you, Kelsey. I, too, look forward to recording the podcast every week. It is truly a blessing to be of service to you and to everyone who tunes in to Cross Defense. Thank you for listening. Thank you for reaching out with your kind words, your compliment, uh, and now with your question. Here it is. Her question is, I have a question that needs objective pastoral guidance. Kelsey writes, I am a member of a dying congregation. Our numbers weren't great pre-COVID, and they're so much worse post-COVID. Our Sunday school has integrated all grades into one class, and we're averaging eight children each week total. My oldest will be four next month, and we were so excited for him to start Sunday school this year. After three weeks, I was told it wasn't working out. He's the youngest by two years. The lessons are above his head, and he distracts the older students. Later that day, I began emailing other churches to see if I could find a preschool class for him. We live in an area that has about five LCMS churches within a five-mile radius. I do know that many of these churches benefit greatly from having schools. Ours does not. We began worshiping at a different church for their Sunday school about two months ago. This church is full of life, full of children, full of young families our age. It is so very wonderful for us not to feel so alone, to not feel depressed or angry at church. When speaking to my pastor about this, however, I was told that word and sacrament are the only needs the church is supposed to fulfill, that Sunday school isn't important, and that my children having other Christian friends their age at church isn't important either. I strongly disagree with the last point. We plan on homeschooling, so I do think having friends at church for them is rather important. My pastor did offer a few solutions, but none that address the real problem. I know he doesn't want us to leave. I don't want to leave either. And now I feel tremendous guilt about this already very difficult decision. My church is doctrinally sound, and that's all that should matter. But is that all that should matter? Word and sacrament are present at both churches. We aren't trading doctrine for feelings. I hate seeing the church I was baptized in, married in, and the church my children were baptized in be in this condition. Are we just being part of the problem if we jump ship? Am I called to stay here until we're forced to sell the building? I'm so conflicted and keep going back and forth with these questions. Any clarity or advice you can offer on this would be so greatly appreciated. Thank you. Kelsey, oh, thank you for sending this my way. It is truly my sincere privilege to receive your question. First, I completely understand your feelings and get your parental desire to best serve your children. I'm extremely glad you talked with your pastor. That would is always my first suggestion. That was going to be my first suggestion. Go talk to your pastor. He's going to know your situation far better than some guy on the radio, (laughs) who doesn't know the full scope, you gave me a very detailed uh, description of what's going on, but he's going to know far more how how to serve you and how to really engage with your, your concern and your question. Hear his words. Pray about what he's saying. Pray with him that he would give you good guidance and, and pray for the Lord to, to fill your heart with that knowledge and to bring you comfort to your soul like we do here on the show, with the truth. So that's my first suggestion. 
And keep talking with your pastor, not just one and done, but keep talking with him. God sent him to your congregation to serve you with the truth of God's word. Pastors want to serve Christ's people. They want to to field these questions and, and to be considering it for the people, researching it, studying it, finding ways to, to bring solutions to bear. Pastors want to serve parents and pastors want to serve children, the kids of the congregation too, the whole family. Okay, so now... You're going to keep doing that. You're going to keep talking to your pastor. So let's get into an answer for you. Let me give you some of my guidance. Uh, and and for not just for you, but for every parent out there who has the same sort of struggle. As I said, I've, I've been where you're at. I understand your feelings. Only I've been there as a pastor. And as a pastor, I didn't have the option of going to a different church for my kids. I was in a rural area, so we also didn't have five churches within five miles, so that's that's a blessing, I suppose. But even if we had one right next door, I wouldn't have had the freedom that you have as a parishioner to, as you say, jump ship and go somewhere else. We were stuck in my first call. And I don't mean stuck in a negative way, but that's the job. And I thank God for that, actually, Kelsey. At one point... I was, I was really bummed out about this whole situation, just as you are. I was really, it was, it was just pressing down on me about my kids being alone at church here in Ferndale. I was wondering if I had put my pastoral vocation ahead of my fatherly vocation. I was praying about that. The devil was, was working overtime in my heart on this regard. Because our vocations are never supposed to be at odds. They're always supposed to, to complement one another. If our vocations are being carried out healthily, they complement one another. They work together. And I, in my heart, had them at odds with one another. I made a comment about this at dinner one time. And the Lord blessed me with tremendous wisdom from the mouths of babes. Well, it wasn't really, uh, not quite a babe. My son was in the eighth grade when he opened his mouth and said this, but, but you know what he said to me? He said, Dad, God knows what we need. If God knows that we need other kids at church, he's going to bring them here. Apparently, he knew we didn't need other kids at church because there are none. <laughs> Can you believe that? Talk about comforting the soul. Talk about comforting the soul out of the mouths of our children. And that put my angst to rest because it was so true. God does know what we need. Kelsey, your pastor is right to point out that the one thing needful is God's word, which is why we administer the sacraments, because Jesus has attached his word to the elements of baptism and, uh, and the Eucharist, to the water, and the bread and the wine, for our comfort and for our certainty. So let's uh, do this right now. Open your Bible up to Luke chapter 10. We're going to go to Luke 10, 38 to 42. It's the episode with Mary and Martha, the two sisters, you know them with Lazarus as well. And this is where Jesus is, is teaching them, teaching us in no uncertain terms. 
no uncertain terms, to guard ourselves against the various distractions that come along in our life, things that want to pull us away from the one thing needful, from the Word. And this is where Jesus teaches us to focus solely, solely on listening to His Word, His teaching, Word and Sacrament. Luke 10 Starting at verse 38, going to 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha, she was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Kelsey, Kelsey. From what you said in your message, I want to encourage you to take a step back from your immediate situation for a minute and consider it in parallel with this pericope. What is the one thing that's necessary for your kiddos? The good portion that Mary chose. Listening to Christ's teaching. It's easy for us to become anxious and troubled about many things in life, even within our church life. Sunday school is among the many things that we can become anxious about, especially with young children, your oldest, three years old, not quite even four yet, a young family. And we have all these perceptions and these ideas and these dreams for what we want for our family. And that's not always the way things work out. But as long as there's the one thing necessary, all is well. It'll be okay. It happened to me. And it's happened to many many parents. I have a term for what you described in your question, for what we're talking about, a term for for this Martha and Mary situation. I call it the prom phenomenon. You mentioned homeschooling your children. Praise be to God for that. The prom phenomenon is a real reason some parents who would like to homeschool their kids ultimately decide not to. It's all about the social experience. The prom phenomenon involves historical amnesia. We forget that there was a time before high school prom, before it was a cultural staple and a sort of a rite of passage that it has become. See, many people get into a frame of mind where they think their kids will somehow be damaged if they don't have the chance to go to prom. You can substitute uh, prom for any, any romanticized childhood experience, Little League Baseball, summer camp, whatever, sleepovers, uh, you know, birthday parties, sweet 16s, any of that kind of stuff. Any of these traditions that we have, you can substitute prom for that, but prom phenomenon just kind of sounds nice. It rolls off the tongue. <laughs> and usually, usually these things are romanticized in our minds because the parent either really enjoyed 
the experience that they had with this event as a kid or the exact opposite. They severely regret missing out on this experience. Either way, we act like these things are essential to a healthy life. But really, we don't need prom. It's not necessary. These desires, they can even become idols in our lives. And for the parents, if not also for the children, they can become footholds for the devil, footholds of anxiety that the devil uses to rob us of the joy that comes with Christian contentment, as Paul says, content with a little, content with a lot. Either way, content. Content with a bustling Sunday school, content with no Sunday school. Either way, content. Because the only thing necessary is faithful doctrine. The word of God being taught faithfully, as you said, is already happening at your church. The prom phenomenon comes from forgetting what Jesus says is that one thing that is necessary. Hearing his word. Sitting at his feet. Listening to his teaching. Let's take a quick break and we'll be back to continue our conversation on children and Sunday school and the one thing necessary, God's Word. Hello, friends. I'm Pastor Phil Boo, host of Thy Strong Word. Each weekday morning at 11 a.m., join me and a guest pastor as we explore God's Word, which strengthens our faith and guides our lives. You can listen over the air, online at kfuo.org, or through your favorite podcasting app. Just search for Thy Strong Word, only from KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. We're already in Luke, so flip with me to chapter 12. We're going to start at verse 22. This text also applies to our concern about our children having a a particular Sunday school experience, one that we had hoped for them, but may not be the reality in today's church culture. And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, 
and these things will be added to you. See, Kelsey, and every cross defense listener out there, my son was right. God knows what we need. He's caring for your children through his word and sacrament, as your pastor said. Seeking after anything more than the word of God is seeking after something other than the kingdom of God. In this case, as we're dealing with Sunday school, it may seem like what you're seeking after is the kingdom of God for your children. It seems that way, but it's not. It's the prom phenomenon. But let's not leave it there. So we can equip our minds with a lot more information that will move our imaginations from the prom phenomenon, in this case, as we think about Sunday school and that, that idealistic model that we've built up in our minds, what we think Sunday school should be like, what we maybe experienced or what we see happening five miles down the road at another church that we think would be great for our little ones. We move beyond that prom phenomenon and enable our souls to be comforted even in the midst of a shrinking congregation, even in the midst of feeling like our children are missing out on something, that they might be damaged or not as well served if they don't have these things. We want to move beyond that thought. We want to seek after the kingdom of God and that alone, sitting at the feet of Jesus like Mary, and avoid being distracted like Martha with all the serving. See, Kelsey, you're trying to serve your children in this way. You're, you're putting a burden onto your shoulders that doesn't need to be there. A burden that's causing you frustration and even anger, you said, toward your church. You're putting that on your shoulders. It's making you feel alone at your congregation. There's eight children in your Sunday school. Praise be to God. That's more than we have at St. Mark. It's a wonderful thing. You have that many children there. But the devil can, can cloud our views. We start to become like Martha's. Because honestly, you're not alone in this. We're all doing this. We all do this. Honestly, we are law-oriented people. That's our native language. We want to do. We want to serve. We want to be active. I know it seems like we don't, but we do. And the gospel of Christ says, Kelsey, you have what's sufficient for your family right here. Yes, you can go somewhere else, but right here, you have it here. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else that your father knows you need will be added to you according to his gracious will. And I hope after we move into this next aspect of this conversation, you'll see that maybe you don't need that quote-unquote, idealistic Sunday school experience for your little ones. Maybe actually they're blessed to not have it. And here's what we're talking about. You're being a good steward of the gift that God has given you, Kelsey. Your kids are blessed to have a mother who cares so much about their Christian upbringing that it's causing her anxiety. I hope that what you're about to learn will encourage you to keep your family in your home church, right where you've already been placed, and appreciate the blessing of the opportunity God is presenting to your church. Maybe even, <laughs> maybe you'll even become a voice, a proponent 
to get rid of Sunday school altogether and integrate the kids with the adults in a family Bible study situation. Maybe that'll be the case, and here's why. You see, because nowhere in Scripture, nowhere, do we find age segregation occurring in the church. The Bible does not have it. At this point, we assume Sunday school is the scriptural way of educating our children. But no, it's actually closer to the opposite of Scripture's way. Consider the table of duties in your small catechism. What is the duty of the parents? And in that table of duties, we simply quote Ephesians 6, 4, right? Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Don't provoke them to anger, but raise them up. Who's doing that work? Fathers, the parents. Age-segregated Sunday school originated as a means to teach not the children of Christian parents who are already raising up their kids in the instruction of the Lord as per the Bible's instruction, but as a means to instill morals, primarily, in children whose parents, and I quote, have no idea of instilling into the minds of their children principles to which they themselves are entire strangers. That quote is what Robert Reiki's the father of the Sunday school movement said, when he observed the children of England, Sunday school was a societal endeavor, experiment, to educate and, yes, evangelize children outside the church. It was an evangelism technique. But we have seen that there was an unintended consequence to the Sunday school movement. What is that consequence? Well, it became the primary method of educating children who were already Christian, whose parents weren't strangers to the principles of Christianity, whose parents did know the Bible and were teaching it to their children or would have if the Sunday school movement hadn't come along and given them an easy out. See, with the Sunday school model, parents stop doing the work of training up their own children in the scriptures within their homes daily. And we we started to replace that task by bringing our kids to Sunday school, letting others train them. It became the way that we would fulfill our responsibility. And gradually, we ended up with the thought that Sunday school was the time for Christian education, just that one little hour before or after the service, that that's where the kid was getting what he needed to know. That one hour per week, daily devotion in the home declined gradually until we got to where we're at today with the practice being completely foreign even to many Christian households. Fathers and mothers started defaulting to Sunday school teachers as the primary source of teaching their children the basics of the Bible, and even began to feel inadequate, like they were not prepared for the task of training up their own children in the faith. They felt like they they didn't know enough. They weren't prepared enough, trained enough to be able to do that. This is probably the worst 
most grievous thing about the Sunday school movement of all is that took parents out of their vocation, made them feel ill-equipped to fulfill their vocation. And so dads could take their children hunting and fishing or teach them how to mow the lawn, but, oh, to teach them about the Bible, no, we'll let the Sunday school teacher do that. Same with moms. A sad state of affairs, isn't it? And this is how we've ended up with children today whose parents drop them off at Sunday school and then pick them up when it's over, but they themselves, the parents, never go to Bible study. Just drop their kids off. They think they're fulfilling their duty. But guess what's happening? The kids understand that mom and or dad are not coming into church, not going to the Bible study. And so as soon as the kid is an adult, what's he going to do? He's going to follow the practice of mom and dad. But eventually, as we are constantly moving further and further away from a Christian culture, the kid will even stop doing that little bit. And when he's an adult, he won't even bother bringing his children to Sunday school because he knows when he was done with Sunday school, he stopped going to church altogether. So why even bother? And that's really where we're at as a society today with our children completely unchurched. We have kids who do not even know about Jesus, but whose parents were dropped off at Sunday school. And they, the parent still considers himself a Christian. He learned everything he needed to know in Sunday school, one hour a week. For what? A few years? A couple years? Maybe 10, 15 years? We see Sunday school as the norm partly because its origin parallels the formation of our country, America. See, Robert Reikes was starting his movement, his Sunday school movement, in the late 1700s. At that time, Sunday school was unheard of and mostly considered to be inappropriate for the church. Christians then knew it wasn't right to hand over their children for others to fulfill their own vocation for others to train them up. That was, that was mom and dad's job. They knew it was inappropriate to shirk that responsibility and to hand it off to someone else. It was the parents' duty. And so there was great pushback in the beginning. The solution for children with derelict parents eventually became a temptation for otherwise faithful parents to abdicate their parental duty. We don't think about this today. But Sunday school presented parents with a novel convenience. No longer do they have to put in the work of teaching their children the faith. Now, there was a time and a place for that to happen. With teachers and everything, curriculum, the whole nine yards. The creation of Sunday school created an Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden situation where Adam was supposed to be fulfilling his duty as the head, teaching his wife the word of the Lord, but he didn't. And so she was tempted into sin. And that sin came back to him. It was his fault for not teaching her. That is happening with our children today because of Sunday school. It has created a situation where moms and dads are not upholding their personal responsibility, their vocational responsibility that God has given them. Instead, they're letting someone else do it. With very little engagement and very little oversight and very little involvement. The Scottish minister, Reverend Thomas Burns, he resisted the Sunday school movement. In 1798, he said, My great objection to Sunday schools 
is that I'm afraid they will, in the end, destroy all family religion. And whatever has tendency to do this, I consider it is my duty to guard you against. And he was right. Reverend Burns' fear was well-founded. Family religion has been destroyed. And not just, not just by the Sunday school model. I get that. There's a lot of different factors here. We're just talking about one of them. But Sunday school has played its significant part in destroying family home religion. Now, Reiki's Sunday school model was actually more like what Kelsey described at her home church. Kids of all ages were taught together. This, this Sunday school model is what we, we know would become the one-room schoolhouse of early American education. All the kids gathering together to learn their, their writing and arithmetic and these things. It was John Dewey's influence of Dewey decimal fame, John Dewey's influence that would further segregate our children into different age categories, grades as we know them, these groups based on age. Dewey's considered the father of modern education. Dewey was an out-and-out atheist with a hatred for the Bible. As a signer of the Humanist Manifesto, we're not surprised to learn that Dewey held to an evolutionary and messianic perspective of the state. He wanted the state to be in control of everything. His educational theory was an offshoot of his evolutionary view, and it was employed intentionally to counter Christianity. He saw education as the best way to capture the hearts and minds of children, and therefore the best way to effectively transform our Christian society into a humanist society. And I'd say he succeeded. To do this, it was best to have the children divided into age-based groups with age-based curricula, material that would be able to get into their hearts and into their minds. Ironically, the church adopted Dewey's methods without any consideration of his philosophical reasoning behind them. They just seemed to be working, so we adopted it. Before Robert Reiki's in the 1780s, there was no such thing as a Sunday school and before John Dewey, who died in 1952, there was no such thing as age-segregated Sunday school. Let's leave it right there. We'll be back after this break for our last segment of today's show. Thanks for listening to Cross Defense. We're talking about Sunday school and the one thing needful, hearing God's word. We'll be right back. Each weekday on The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah, we share and discuss stories of Living Boldly Lutheran. Including missionary updates, mercy work, events and topics applicable to your daily vocations, and maybe some fresh dark roast. The Coffee Hour weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO, underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin.
So how did the church train up children before Reikis and Dewey and others presented their unbiblical ideas that we now think of as normal? How did the church get it done? Well, there's one, there's a one word answer for this family. Parents are called to teach their children the faith every day. Fathers are the pastors of their families. Why did Martin Luther write his small catechism, which we use to teach our children the fundamentals of the faith? What does it say at the beginning of every part in the catechism? Quote, as the head of the family should teach it in a simple way to his household, the head of the family. Kelsey, your kids don't need a large and active Sunday school. They don't need Sunday school at all. All they need is God's word taught to them daily in a simple way by mom and dad and reinforced and repeated every week by their pastor in the divine service. We Lutherans, we were sucked into the Sunday school movement like every other church body. But listen to what Luther said in his preface to the large catechism. He writes about the Christian method of training up our children in the faith. This sermon, he says, has been designed and undertaken for the instruction of children and the uneducated. Hence, from ancient times, it has been called in Greek a catechism, that is, instruction for children. It contains what every Christian should know. Anyone who does not know it should not be numbered among Christians nor admitted to any sacrament, just as artisans who do not know the rules and practices of their craft are rejected and considered incompetent. For this reason, young people should be thoroughly taught the parts of the catechism that is the instruction for children and diligently drilled in their practice. Therefore, it is the duty of every head of household, at least once a week, to examine the children and servants, one after the other, and ascertain what they know or have learned of it, and if they do not know it, to keep them faithfully at it. That's what Luther said. That's the reason we have the small catechism. See, what happened is that we Lutherans traded the Martin Luther method <laughs> for the Robert Reikies, John Dewey method of Christian education. That is to say, we traded the biblical method for a worldly method. Reikies looked around England. He saw a population of kids and parents who, who didn't know the first thing about the Christian faith. They were strangers to, to the Christian principles. And so he created Sunday school. Martin Luther looked around Germany, saw the same problem, and he wrote out the basics to aid parents in their vocational responsibility of teaching the faith to the kids. This is the biblical model. It's what Ephesians 6, 4 says, right? As we already heard from the table of duties, it's quoted there in the catechism. So we all know it very well. It's also what Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9 teaches us. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. See, Kelsey, you said your church is doctrinally sound. And that's all that should matter. And then you asked, but is that all that should matter? Yes. Yes, dear sister in Christ, that is all that should matter truly. Because you already have everything you need to train up your children. You don't need anyone else to do that for you. Everything else is added to us when we seek after the kingdom of God. But the one thing that matters is faithful teaching, sound doctrine. Yes, it's all that matters. And this topic reveals that even we in the Lutheran Church have, have been allowed to drift away from the biblical sound doctrine of how we raise up our children. And that's probably a big part of why we're seeing a decline as the generations go on. And we have Sunday school kind of eating itself. You also recognize that word and sacrament are present at both churches. And you said that you aren't trading doctrine for feelings. And I want to I want to gently in Christian love push back a little on that statement. Truly, only out of Christian love, sister. If feelings aren't involved, would you even be considering a different congregation? Could it be your maternal feelings for your children's social experience is causing the angst in your heart on this issue and even causing frustration and anger at your smaller home church. I ask that because I know the answer for me when I was going through what you're going through. I was caught up in the prom phenomenon. I had lost track Even as a pastor, I had lost track of the truth that Scripture alone is sufficient for my children's salvation. It's all that's needful, all that's necessary. They don't need lots of kids their own age at church. What they need is Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected. The law and the gospel rightly distinguished and given to them. The same as every other Christian no matter his or her age. You and I, and all Christian parents, we don't need anything other than solid biblical teaching for our children. And I have a a strong premonition that I'm preaching to the choir. Yes, I do. You said you hate seeing the church you were baptized in, married in, and the church your children were baptized in be in this condition, and asked, are we just being part of the problem if we jump ship? Am I called to stay here until we're forced to sell the building? I'm so conflicted and keep going back and forth with these questions. Any clarity or advice you can offer on this topic would be greatly appreciated. Kelsey, are you part of the problem if you jump ship? Well, let me turn that question around for you. You are part of the solution if you stay. 
as a mature Christian woman, you know your kids don't need any other kids for their salvation, for their well-being. They need sound doctrine. But weaker parents, new to the faith, they don't know that. If you stay in your home church, then your family, the entire family, simply by staying there, will be of service to other families who are looking for a faithful, doctrinally sound church home. They will visit your congregation and they will see a faithful family willing to stay where the word is faithfully taught, undeterred by social pressures and worldly considerations. They will see it, it'll be like glue, and they will want to stay there too. You will be part of the solution. I wouldn't go so far as to say you're, you're called to stay until the church closes its doors. I wouldn't even go down that road if I was you. See, hypotheticals, the devil loves them. And they are just that, hypothetical. Focus on the right now. Consider the blessing you have right in front of you at your home church. Your oldest child isn't quite four years old yet. Keep him with you in Bible study. Let him see mom and dad faithfully participating in the study of God's word. Let him hear your questions and your comments in the class as you engage with your pastor. Kids learn from every experience. Let all your kids experience what you go through in the study of God's word for as long as possible. Indeed, well into your elderly years, let your kids always see you modeling the way you want them to live when they get to your age. That's what faithful parenthood is. Let them see it. Expose them to it as much as possible. Here at St. Mark, as we said, as I said, we don't have a Sunday school. We have family Bible study intentionally. I encourage the parents to bring their kids to all our Bible studies because the kids get to listen to their parents ask heartfelt questions. Is there anything more powerful today than parents modeling the Christian faith? No. It is the, the main thing that's going to shape our children when they look at mom and dad and they see them living out their faith, having integrity, walking the walk and talking the talk. The kids too, <laughs> this is wonderful. The kids too engage in the conversation in family Bible study. And guess what? All the adults, not just the parents, but all the adults are blessed by their questions and their comments. Often, kids ask the questions that the adults want to ask but are afraid to because they've built themselves into their little peer pressure, social you know, ideal. They think, well, if I ask that question, they're going to think I'm stupid or whatever. Kids don't think like that. They're just going to ask the question. It's great. All ages being together with our Bibles open, studying God's Word. It's a blessing. Another thing, too, the children get to see not only mom and dad, but even grandma and grandpa, if you're in a family church, but those in the age brackets of grandma and grandpa, they get to see the whole family of God in one room doing the same thing. And likewise, the older members get to look down the line generationally and see your young three-year-old, and that brings them hope that they know their church is going to be here when they're long gone, that the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church. They get to be encouraged, their souls comforted, as they look at your child 
and see him or her right there in Bible study with them. It builds them up. It helps them trust God's word all the more. It helps them see that their church isn't dying. It's just, it's just changing shape. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But this family Bible study model also here at St. Mark started out of necessity. It's true, just like it sounds like your congregation. The congregation I inherited when I was called to Ferndale had zero children, as I said. We had many rooms set up as Sunday school rooms and only my two kids here at the church. And it bothered me from time to time, as I mentioned, but, but it also meant there was no pressure from the congregation for me as pastor to send my kids to a Sunday school, and that was a relief to me because I'm a seminary-trained pastor. Why would I want to send my kids to a Sunday school where they could be taught by a well-meaning, sure, but certainly lesser-trained volunteer teacher who might not know how to answer their tough questions as they grow up? My kids' salvation is the most important thing to me, that I will see them in heaven. That is the number one goal I have in life. I want to make sure they get the best Christian education possible. And on Sunday morning, when we gather with all the saints, that's with the pastor who has spent somewhere around eight years training to serve the young and the old. As I've told my Bible study class, if we ever started a Sunday school for the children, it would be the adults who would have to figure out who was going to teach their class because I, as pastor, would be teaching the kids. Why? Because they are the weakest among us just by virtue of their age, their lack of experience in life. Not to mention the social pressures that are bombarding our children today because of our society. They need solid, well-thought-out answers to their sincere questions. The old timers, those who are firm in their faith and are coming and been coming to Bible study for years, they're not as susceptible as the 12-year-old being influenced by her ungodly friends and media. The pastor's going to go with the kids. We'll get some warm body to fill the, the adult Bible study, if that's going to be the case. <laughs> Kelsey, and all of you parents out there who struggle with this, I know we all struggle with this because we're living um, after our great heyday in the Missouri Synod. We're living in a time where we still do come to church and we see these rooms that were set up for, they used to be full of kids. I want to encourage you, all of you, to consider the same thing for your kids. Certainly, we want our kids to have Christian friends and Christian social interaction, but that's not why we bring them to church. And it's not why we send them to Sunday school. We bring our kids to church to receive the gifts of God, to hear the word of God, to learn what the Bible says thoroughly, faithfully, soundly. I can't think of a better, more biblical model of doing that than by keeping the family together, joining them with other families, everyone learning from the pastor whom they've called to serve their congregation in this way, young and old alike, sitting at the feet of Jesus as they sit in Bible study and in the divine service, listening to the one 
who the Lord has called and sent to them in his stead and by his command to teach. That's the biblical model. Kelsey, I truly hope this was helpful for you. Thank you for sending in your message. I, I really appreciate it. Your kids have a wonderful mother who cherishes them greatly. Christ be with you and your family in the days and the years ahead. And may he bless your home church, that the gospel would continue to be preached there as long as the Lord wills. Well, that's it for today, my friends, for this week's episode of Cross Defense. I hope you've all learned something. You can go to stmarksferndale.com, S-T-M-A-R-K-S, ferndale.com, slash contact if you would like to send me a message regarding the topic of today's show or any of our previous shows, or if you would like to just ask your own question and seek, uh, you know, the further the conversation that way. I will always point you to your pastor first. He is going to be the best most qualified person to help you in your situation, but if I can bring God's word to bear, and it'll help all of us listening here on Cross Defense, the, the church at large, on KFUO, where Christ is for you anytime, anywhere, well, it'd be my pleasure to, to engage the, com- the conversation and your comments. Thank you, guys. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time. Christ be with you. Go in peace and serve the Lord. Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org.